I speak to you in the name of God who was and is and is to come. Amen. Amen. So last week, one evening, I found myself in the back to school section at Target. And we weren't quite at like mass chaos. Most things were still like in the right place. Um, but there were several families there uh, picking out binders and pencils and kids were trying on backpacks. And you could tell they were starting to shift gears and get ready. Some a bit more excitedly than others. And they were still dressed for summer. A lot of them were in you know, shorts and flip-flops. But there was change coming. And there's a change coming in today's gospel lesson, too. Sell your possessions. Give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit, because the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. There's tension in this gospel reading, a sense that we're being brought with the disciples to the brink of something, and maybe even kind of a foreboding um, and uncertainty going on, too. But I wonder if you notice those first words that Jesus speaks in today's portion of the lesson. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What comes after these words of assurance are words that disrupt and disquiet. A reminder for listeners that this kingdom that's coming brings a radically different world order that will bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly. A shifting of our foundations that will fill the hungry with good things and send the rich and the proud away empty. Do not be afraid. This is a phrase that we hear throughout scripture in the Old Testament and the New. And Luke, in particular, uses it quite often. Zechariah hears these words when the angel Gabriel shows up to tell him that his wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son named John. Mary hears those words too when Gabriel appears to her and says, You're pregnant and carrying the Messiah. The shepherds watching their flocks by night are told not to be afraid. Jesus will speak them to Simon Peter when he calls him to be a disciple. He says them to Jairus just before he heals his daughter, just to give a few examples. There was no shortage of things to be fearful of when Jesus was speaking these words. They ranged from disease to how to support a family to how to survive under Roman occupation. Plus, the disciples to whom Jesus speaks these particular do-not-fear words, they are with him on their way to Jerusalem, a place that is holy, a place that's home of the temple, but also a place that's known to kill prophets. And however way you look at it, it's a city of great power. And once Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, I wonder if his friends could start to feel things start to shift. Of course, there's a great deal of fear around us today, too. Worry and anxiety inhabit us. Whether we're a little nervous about going back to school or maybe going to school for the first time, about a new job, or we're worried what the medical results are going to show, where is gunfire going to show up next, 
What's going to happen in the next election? Am I going to be able to get the health care that I need? We're supposed to not be afraid? Yes, Jesus says, worry and fear, they corrode the most precious gift that God gives to each of us. And that's this very moment. Every breath that we breathe, every moment that we have on this planet that the Creator made, it is a pretty remarkable and amazing thing. And yet, we can very easily forget that. I certainly can in the minutia of our day-to-day until something comes and kind of jolts us out of that haze. And sometimes those jolts bring with them fear. And more often than not, fear starts to orient us towards preserving our own self-interest and those who maybe think or look or sound like we do. And fear can start to impede our perception of how God is at work in the world around us. We start to become like that farmer from last week's reading, the guy who kept trying to build bigger and bigger barns to house all the grain that he had amassed, building bigger walls, forgetting that all that we have, from our money to our possessions to our time and our relationships, all of it is a gift that we can't keep forever. And fear of losing these things, it can bind us and it can start to blind us too. And there are days, maybe I'd even say most days, when I struggle to trust Christ's words not to be afraid. I worry and try to control things or fix things that aren't really mine to do. And sometimes my fear, especially when fear starts to feel really big and kind of insurmountable, it can start to feel like quicksand. But here's the really good news. It is not up to me, and it is not up to you. It's up to Jesus. Faith, it's like a muscle that we build. We have to show up, tend to it, stretch it, work it out, care for it. But unlike workouts that maybe you could do alone, faith is not a solo project. As a priest that I admire put it, Instead of thinking of faith as an accomplishment, something that we do by our own efforts through gritted teeth, think of it more like openness, acceptance, like receiving something life-giving and empowering. Because it's Jesus' faith and Jesus' faithfulness that really matters. And this is why community is so vital. With church, we get to be this learning lab of sorts, We get to try out ways to open ourselves up to that liberating and life-giving love of Christ. We get to experiment with patterns that we can work into our lives that will bring us closer to the one who is the ground of our being. We can help each other keep our lamps lit. We can stay on the lookout for Christ in our midst. We can fail. We can confess when we failed. We can receive forgiveness. And at our best, we can find companions along the way who will sit with us in our sorrow and rejoice with us in our joy and stand with us as we resist systems that oppress. The church, though, can also devolve into a place where worry and anxiety and fear run the show. We can put self-preservation above calls to look outside of the doors and to build the kingdom alongside our neighbors.
keep your lamp lit, keep your lamps lit, stay alert. You're being brought to the brink of something, Jesus says. But don't fear, because it's the brink of a blessing. A blessing that's going to reorder the world and has already started doing so. Jesus calls for this shift away from a world in which some people survive only because more privileged people choose to act morally from time to time when they feel like it, when they're able to. You and I pray every time we gather for worship, God's kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it to come into its fullness, we have to be ready to share our power and our privilege and our wealth, those things that we so often hoard because we think that's what's going to keep us safe. Jesus is shining a light on the hollowness of putting our trust in those things. Do not be afraid. Jesus speaks these words not from some kind of distant place of safety and security. He says them as he's making his way to Jerusalem. Or he will be handed over by religious authority, authorities, tortured, and then murdered by the state. Attempts by those who were in positions of power then to try to cling to them and hide behind them, they seemed to win the day. But death wasn't the end of the story. And Jesus made a future for us that we couldn't make for ourselves. Well, we're invited to walk with him today toward that blessing. The way is not easy, we're told, and we probably already know that. Weariness will continue to nip at our heels. But we are made by God to be repairers of the breach, to be reconcilers in a world that desperately needs us to be Christ's hands and feet to one another. Do not be afraid. Keep your lamps lit. Amen.